Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, I had big plans for our travels this week, but fate had other plans for me. Instead, I wound up with a basement under three inches of water thanks to a few days of heavy rain and a busted sump pump. And it just so happens my office and little home recording booth are also in the basement. Computer and equipment survived intact. So for that I'm thankful, but it's going to take a little time and effort to get things dried out and repaired. So in the interest of avoiding becoming too waterlogged myself, I'll keep this week's intro short and we'll get right to our fiction. But before that, I do still want to take a moment to give a shout out to patrons. Corey Austin, Frank Pasco, and Heather Blades, as well as one of our newest patrons, Adam Gomez. Your dedication to all things dark and twisted says a lot about you. 
and we couldn't be prouder or more appreciative to have you with us. Thank you for your support. Our story this evening comes to us from Evan Marcroft. Evan Marcroft is a half-blind Yeti person and emerging writer of sci-fi and horror based out of Chicago. His works have appeared in a variety of publications, from Pseudopod to Strange Horizons, as well as Starship Sofa. Follow him on Twitter at Evan underscore Marcroft. He will respond to anyone. Children of the Night, join me for Evan Marcroft's Its Mouth a Blizzard, Its Belly All of Winter, a Tales to Terrify original. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. It's a long moment before the light finally clicks. Harvey can't take his eyes off the car because he has no idea what to call the thing. For a tow truck driver on the job 10 years, that's an unsettling first. It looks kind of like an old Ford F-100, but no, that can't be right. The headlights are set too close together. The eyes of a predator, not a grazer. And he can't tell what color it might have been out of the factory. 
Every fleck of paint is worn away, leaving it the color of scab. It puts Harvey in a mind of a Neanderthal. With its steep slope windshield and its brawny wheels, something primitive, prototypical, hazardous, his hindbrain blurts. Where another car might wear a hood ornament, this beast is mounted with a brace of black liqueured antlers, their tips glistening with rhyme. Thanks for coming, Pally, this stranger says. I thought I was going to starve out here. Yeah, not a problem, Harvey replies, rubber banding back to the present. Sign here and we'll both be home for dinner. Harvey surveys the man as he fumbles with the clipboard. Layers of flannel and garbadine have made a motley bear of him. A Christmas wreath of knotted black hair spills out from around an indeterminately dark face. The way he grips his pen with his whole hand makes Harvey suspect he's half forgotten how to write. He wishes the guy would hurry it up already. It's minus eight Celsius, and he isn't supposed to be out here to begin with. The stranger hands the clipboard back. His signature is an unintelligible spasm, and slaps his jumble of keys into Harvey's other hand. She's all yours, he chuckles, his voice stiff and scratchy as a dried-out sponge. All I need is your spare, Harvey says, but the stranger is already disengaged and gone to the curb of the icy creek to gaze at the snow, unrolling, unbroken, over the horizon. Whatever. Oddballs are half his clientele, and he's grown numb to them. A wiser man wouldn't go barreling down this misanthropic length of road in the deep of Quebecois winter without the tools to fix a flat. The real geniuses wouldn't be on the road at all. What does that say about me, then? Shut up, Harvey tells himself. He pulls his jack from the back of his truck and trundles back towards the stranger's pickup, determined to be home within the hour. Imani will wait for him. The weather won't. They're about 80 kilometers down Route 389 from Fermont, in one of those places where civilization hiccups and leaves a lull in the discourse between networks electric and digital. One side of the highway is all forest, white-capped evergreens climbing over hills and gorges impassable to man on wheels. The other, a great frozen-over void like God died in the making. This stretch of the route is just tamped down gravel littered with scree. There must be a million insidiously sharp stones between here and Wabush on account of nobody wanting to drive out and clean them up. It's an honest miracle the stranger has made it this far up from Bay Camo, or wherever the hell he was out of. It's not long before he has the burst wheel cranked off the ground. Sure enough, a rock as sharp as a shark tooth has punched clean through the tire. Icicles drip from the truck's undercarriage like a mouthful of fangs. Harvey is tempted to ask how long it had been sitting here waiting for him, but that would only keep him out here longer. The wind is leaching the moisture from his nose and cheeks, suckling the heat from his bones. This is no country to linger in, since pelt-wearing times it has only ever been reluctantly passed through. Survived. There are no homes made here, only roads to gentler places. No one of sound mind would settle where the world howls so. Not with wolves, not with wind. Glad you came when you did, Pelly, the stranger says. I was getting real lonesome. Stories are all you got in these parts. And I'll tell you what, they aren't good company. I don't care. But no, that would be bad customer service. And he makes little enough as it is. Five minutes is five minutes loud or quiet. Now the natives around here will tell you all sorts of grim happenings if you stop to listen, the stranger goes on. The ghost of an accent haunts his voice. Harvey can't tell if it's French or native or what. 
With a scarf around his mouth, he's borderline unintelligible. I heard me one about this Cree fella named Swift River from way back before cars and things. He was a real lamppost of a guy, they say. One of them pelt trappers they used to have. Now the way the story goes, he and his wife and his couple of kitties get themselves stuck in the snow over in Alberta one nasty winter. Town ain't too far off, but not too far is still too far in the middle of a snowstorm, you know. Snow piles up quick, and it won't thaw out for all your screaming. The wind swerves suddenly, and Harvey is blasted with the smell of the man. He imagines bacteria colonies thriving in the sweat trap between those layers. A stranger's got the afterstink of something freshly skinned. Hunter, maybe. But then where's his kill? So, spring rolls around and old Swift Runner comes waltzing back into town looking plump as a seal. And that gets folks wondering. The coppers grab the fellow, and they make him walk them back to the place he'd been holding out. And, wouldn't you know it, they find a lot of little bones lying around. And not a lot of his kids. You can put the rest together. I figure. Suffice it to say, they hung the guy. First in the province, I think. True story. Real history. Harvey can almost empathize with Swift Runner. That acidic wind had eaten through his gloves and began to gnaw at his hands. He's got half a mind to hop back in his truck and leave the stranger to his luck. Come home. He can hear Imani as though she's there with him. You're my warmth, Harvey. Don't give it all to the cold. Back at home, she'd be making rice with lamb, so stupidly good that he can taste it even now with his tongue freezing into a popsicle. God, but that woman is too good for him. When folks ask him how they got together, he can't quite ever say. While he'd been wasting high school getting high with the other burnouts, she'd been taking college courses and plowing towards a career in climate research. The memory of how they'd come together felt like a dream he'd had that mistakenly became real. A woman like her shouldn't let trash in her house. I don't care what you do, she tells him often. You're more to me than your job. Whatever she sees in him, he's certain it isn't there. But she makes him want to prove her right anyway. Every loony he brings home to her is proof that he's not just some bum hanging off her like a tick, living easy on the effort she puts into life. He'd taken this call, even as she told him to stay home, because it was one more reason for a woman like her to be with a boy like him. I'll be back soon. You can keep the rice warm. Tomorrow, I'll buy us that new space heater we wanted. And the day after that, I'll do another thing for you. Whatever you need. Need. They called Swift Runner a widigo, this stranger continues. Or maybe it's a widgigo or a wendigo. The story is, when you consume the flesh of another person, some other thing enters you too, and becomes you. A spirit sort of thing, of cold and hunger and obsession, whatever you want to call it. All this creature wants to do with you is eat and be full, even if it never will be. Because its mouth is a blizzard, and its belly is all of winter. With one last wrench, Harvey twists the last lug knot off the burst tire. And with a firm tug, he pulls the whole wheel free. Halfway there, as good as halfway home. Now you ask me, Pally. It's life giving us a metaphor, this stranger says. Put a man on ice and you don't know what'll thaw out. Won't be a body, though. No, folks don't die if they've got a choice. The recipe for a monster is cold and desperation. 
Where's your spare? Harvey asks. When the stranger does not immediately reply, he looks over his shoulder, thinking maybe he wasn't listening. The stranger squats low to the ground, easing a long hunting knife out of the rear wheel of Harvey's tow truck. Through a veil of whipping snow, Harvey can see that both front tires are already flat. Gripping his lug wrench like a deadly weapon, Harvey shoots to his feet. A roar builds in his throat, only to sputter out as the stranger loosens the scar from around his jaw. He grins at Harvey through a mouth widened by crusts of Esker, his lips having been eaten away by the worst frostbite Harvey has ever seen, leaving the exposed teeth to wither in the cold. And his nose is a pit of mummified rot bored into his face and radiating a corona of ulcerating necrosis. All that, and what rips the scream from Harvey's chest, is the look in his eyes. I've been out here a while, Pally. The stranger transitions from perfect stillness to a clawing sprint with no movement in between. Harvey has been in a fight or two in his time, but never with a knife between him and the other man. Never with someone who wasn't three sheets to the wind. Still, he has the presence of mind to bat the blade aside with his wrench a half moment before the stranger slams into him with his full rank bulk and lifts him clean off his feet. Harvey goes down hard. Sharp stones cut through his parka and stab into his back. His skull dribbles against the icy road, and for a moment, the whole world goes the same shade of white. Then, the stranger's fist explodes against his temple, and his eyes bleed color again. Harvey looks up in time to see that knife raised high above him and brings his knee into the stranger's groin. What he's got down there isn't frostbit enough. Whatever the man is, he can feel pain. In the second it buys him, Harvey balls up a fist and throws a haymaker in the stranger's ruined jaw hard enough to throw the man off his chest. Move! Harvey's thundering heart reinflates him before the stranger can find their feet. As the other man gropes after his knife, Harvey plants his heel on it and kicks it off the road and into the iced-over creek below. As the stranger starts to rise, Harvey chooses to run rather than fight. There is something broken in his hand from just that one punch vaulting over the hood of his tow truck to get to the driver's side door that much faster. He pulls on the handle five times before realizing dumbly that he left it locked. Keys, keys, keys! He pats himself up and down and finds nothing but a broken cell phone, smashed dead when he'd hit the ground, and the jumble of keys the stranger had given him. Harvey glances up. The stranger glares at him from the other side of the truck, with those eyes that chop and slice and skewer and chew. He bounces Harvey's key ring in his hand, and then, with a mutilated sneer, tosses them over his shoulder. Harvey hears them pierce the surface of the frozen creek and quickly sink. Come home. Be safe. I'll be waiting. Imani sounds so far away. The stranger comes scrambling over the hood of the truck on all fours. Harvey grips his wrench in his good hand and imagines he's back in high school smashing mailboxes for fun, hoping that abstraction will make this easier for him. His first blow catches the stranger's wrist with a sound like crushing ice. The second cracks off the swell of his cheek and lays him out flat against Harvey's windshield. Stay down, he silently pleads. A hit like that was enough to land a person in the ICU, and the tap of fight instinct in him is already running dry. Harvey did not come out here prepared to kill a man. And if the world plays by the rules he was taught, he won't have to. He begs the universe to make sense, even as the man defiantly peels himself off the glass and grins. Harvey breaks left, groping after the stranger's keys. 
Without sparing a look, he jams the first one into the lock of the stranger's truck, and miraculously, it turns. He throws himself into the driver's seat and slams the door shut behind him just as the stranger appears in the window. The stranger's eyes want to melt through that frosted glass, but the man does nothing but watch as Harvey reaches forward and belatedly clicks the lock shut. Time has scrawled patterns of frost on the windows, encasing the world outside in ice. The field beyond the creek is a white so pure that change seems impossible. A great and immutable nothing. With his phone destroyed, Harvey cannot say how long he has been in the truck, watching the stranger watch him. The man has not moved for what feels like an hour. He has taken up position perhaps three meters from the passenger's side door, a monolith against the wind that rocks the car on its wheels like a cradle, letting snowdrifts accrue upon his shoulders. Even with all his layers, Harvey knows he shouldn't still be standing. He can't understand why he doesn't try to take shelter. Even crawling into the flatbed would be better than nothing. Harvey is morbidly curious. How far has that frostbite spread? For dearth of rational answers, he imagines it riddling the man's flesh like wood rot. Mass graves of blackened cells spiraling down to his very bones, deadening his nerves to the cold. Perhaps all that meat and sinew had become nothing more than an insulating pelt for the carnivore underneath. Something with patience enough to stalk its prey's breathing hole until they're forced to come up for air. No. No, Harvey scatters those thoughts like a murder of pecking crows. It had only taken Harvey an hour and twenty to make it out here from when he'd gotten the call. It would take vastly longer for that kind of necrosis to set in. And even the toughest son of a bitch on earth would be dead halfway through. Harvey knows he can't stay in the truck forever. Even sheltered from the weather, the temperature is achingly low. He keeps his fur-lined parka zipped up over his nose to blunt the winter's teeth. The car wouldn't run on three wheels, but he tried anyway, only to find the battery completely drained. Maybe the stranger had left his headlights on too long, but Harvey can't remember seeing them through the snow on his way in. Trying only hurts. His skull is still rocked by aftershocks from where he'd hit his head. The word concussion skims along the surface of subconscious like a shark's fin, but doesn't surface. Harvey retreats into the now and warms himself with facts. I can outlast him, he assures himself. He's only human. This, too, must be true. Sooner or later, he has to drop. Given, he does not want to consider what he will do afterwards. A blob of time divides and divides again. The stranger holds his post. Harvey would almost think him dead were it not for the idle motions of his body. The twitch of an eye. A hand slowly clenching and unclenching. Harvey fears to so much as blink, but the human mind is prone to wandering. Even with the threat facing him like his own hostile reflection, Harvey grows bored. The truck continues to perplex. The air inside reeks like piss. He can picture particles of it condensing on the windows. What's more, every surface is covered in a layer of dust that he wouldn't expect from something recently driven. He tests the glove compartment. It rattles, but refuses to open. Scanning the dashboard, he notices that the numbers on the radio are all wrong. They go from 98 to 33 to 106. Harvey thinks of the hollow books they use on sitcom sets, 
stairs that go nowhere, painted windows. Come to think of it, he can't remember if the F-100 is supposed to have a radio at all. Harvey lets his gaze drop and frowns. The floor of the truck is covered in candy wrappers. He bends and grabs a handful. Starbursts, Skittles, Double Bubble, even the plastic sleeves that Jerky comes in. Things one would carry around in their pocket without thinking. There must be hundreds down there, if not thousands. He bends again, forgetting to keep an eye on the stranger, and digs, finding stratum where the paper has gone velvety with age. The packaging is different than what he knows, and faded. His fingers detect something larger, a fossil, and he pulls it free. A magazine rolled into a bug-smashing club. Harvey lays it on his lap and spreads it flat. The yellowed paper resists like mummified flesh. L'Action Nationale, the cover reads. Below that, no graphics, just a summary of contents. In the top right corner, a date. Decembre, 1936. There's a story here. Harvey feels pieces itching to fit together, but his brain is burning all spare calories to keep the heat on. What matters is that trucks don't run on candy wrappers. The stranger hasn't moved by the time he looks up again. Time may have proceeded, and may have not. The man is a stuck minute hand. Do something, he begs the stranger. Move! Harvey cannot leave this place until he does. There is some small mercy in that, at least. Here in this truck, where every passing hour is identical to the last, Harvey can believe that Amani will still be waiting up for him. Her rice and lamb might still be warm when he gets home. She'll still yell at him for running off like he did, sure. But she'll smile on the last syllable of it. He'll eat until he's sick, and then they'll binge something together until they fall asleep on each other's shoulders. Tomorrow, he'll pick up that space heater for the apartment, and she'll love him for pulling his weight. Harvey's stomach kicks him back into the present. Now that's another problem. He searches his pockets again, but all he's got is a stick of mint gum he picked up God knows where and when. Better than nothing, he thinks as he stuffs it in his mouth and lets the wrapper waft to the floor. Some indeterminate time later, he decides to fiddle with the radio again. The small mystery of the jumbled numbers is the only distraction he has. He turns some knobs experimentally and flinches when its face impossibly lights up. A tinny song begins to trickle through the dust-choked speaker. Harvey adjusts the frequency until he can make out the words. It's Vlal Bonvent, if he's not mistaken. He remembers having to sing it in grade school with the whole class. This version is sung more slowly, more longingly than he's heard before. Each note stretched into a wistful sigh, sweetly torturing meaning to something innocent. Vlal Bonvent. V'là je les vends, v'là le bon vent, mamie ma peur, v'là le bon vent, v'là je les vends, v'là le bon vent, mamie ma temps. It's Amani's voice on the radio. He couldn't possibly mistake it, that growl given by years of smoking, that subtle lisp. Go good wind, go pretty wind. Go, good wind, my friend is calling. Go, good wind, go, pretty wind. Go, good wind, she waits for me. Her voice is his favorite instrument.
beautiful singing and screaming both. She did the former more often, cooking, showering, driving, dancing. Like a dead volcano, she'd erupt just when he'd forgot she could. The last fight he'd started, a day over a week ago, still rings like tinnitus in his ears. You are good for not a goddamn thing, she'd snarled beautifully, her hair awry from her headscarf, her hands dripping dishwater up to the elbows. I feel like I'm your mother. I make all the money, so the least you could do is keep the place clean. Why is that so fucking hard for you? And did it hurt him twice as much as she thought it did, because that was the switch he'd already beat himself with. She couldn't see the life he'd wasted dragging behind him. She'd forgiven Harvey by the next morning like it never happened. It was nothing for her. Fifteen minutes of inconvenience at most. And she never meant what she said in anger anyway. But even so, Harvey wasn't so easy on himself. Etevula, are you there, Harvey? Harvey paused the tears from his cheeks, his lips. I'm here, honey. I'm here. I wish you'd have stayed with me, the radio says. I know, Harvey says. I'm sorry. I'm a real stupid guy. No, no, I'm sorry. I should have told you sooner. I didn't mean any of what I said back then. I was having a bad day. Angry me isn't really me. You know I would never ask any money from you. I've told you so many times all I ever want from you is you. Just for you to be there with me. This country is way too cold. I need your warmth of your arms. I'm so sorry, honey. It's okay. I know what you were trying to do. Just come back. I need you back here. You're the best part of home. I've got all this food I don't know what to do with. Harvey snorts a snotty laugh. <laughs> I'm trying. There's just this asshole to deal with first. I'm already in a car coming back to you. You have to hurry, Harvey, Imani says. There's something outside the house. What? I think it smells the food. Harvey's heart begins to rap on its cages of ribs. He slides off the seat and presses his ear to the speaker. Talk to me, honey. What's going on? What's out there? I don't know. I can see it through the blinds. Shit. What? What? I think it sees me, too. In the staticky background, he hears the faint sound of a car revving to life. Imani, you need to run. I don't think I can. Its eyes are so bright. Harvey. The drumbeat of combusting fuel and slamming pistons is quickly growing louder. Fucking run! Help me! Harvey screams, but the sound from the radio drowns him out. Its speakers stab a cacophony into his ears, splintering wood, crumbling brick, shrieking metal, squeaking axles, snow-chained tires chainsawing his house to pieces. That roaring engine explodes like a meteor through the shrine in his brain where Amani is, and reduces everything in Harvey's head to a great, frozen nothing. Harvey awakes in a panic. He flails until his hands smack the steering wheel, the frigid steering wheel. Still in the car, then. Harvey gags on his first few breaths. The urine stench has somehow grown stronger, almost saturating the stale air. Just how long had he been asleep for? Time is measured in observable changes to matter, but the landscape outside remains painted on. The wind yet howls with bottomless lungs, and the stranger still watches from the same latitude and longitude. Even so, his biological clock insists that night should have fallen by now. The one difference is that his tow truck is gone. Not buried under snow. No, removed, leaving only a set of drag marks in the snow leading towards the creek. Must be deeper than it looks, Harvey thinks. 
it doesn't make sense. But then fewer and fewer things do. The logic with which man netted the world has worn thin in this wild and neglected place. The effort it takes to sit up in his seat leaves the world wobbling around him. Harvey's body aches in degrees of intensity, radiating from his stomach. That stick of gum couldn't trick his belly into thinking it was food, and must have gone through his gut like a bullet. The only other edible things in the truck are magazines and candy wrappers, the fluff in his parka. That would fill him up, but it wouldn't feed him. He'd die stuffed, self-taxidermized. And yet it is harder than it should be to push the thought of it away. Harvey reassures himself that if he's this hungry, then the other man must be starving. But he's still standing, isn't he? Isn't he? Harvey chews the air until his teeth threaten to crack. There's no use clinging to what should be in the smirking face of what is. Time does not exist on this stretch of road, but Harvey is nonetheless running out of it. How much longer can he afford to wait for nothing to happen? Think, you big idiot. Work those two brain cells. How do you get out of here? The answer comes into his mind as though it had always been there. The same way he did. Harvey trembles in the grip of Epiphany. The man had called for help, which means he must have a phone somewhere on him. If he only called the once, it might still have a charge. If he was able to call at all, that means there's reception out here. Swirling truths overlap in a moment of total lucidity, and where they come together, Harvey sees the narrowest of ways out. I need that phone. He reaches for the door but hesitates, pulling his overeager hand away as if something scorching. The Harvey that opened the door would have to be ready to die. He would have to be prepared to kill. When fresh out of high school, he'd been handed the chance to pick up a gun and serve his country. He'd thrown it on the heap of squandered opportunities with all the others. Why be a man for once when he could drive a truck 12 hours a day and change tires on cars he could never afford? No, he isn't a killer, but he's not a dyer either. But I can be, for her. A soft click, almost not a sound at all, more the release of a throat held in a note long faded. The door of the glove compartment falls open of its own accord. Something gleams inside like an eye in a deep socket. Harvey reaches in and withdraws a long, serrated knife. It comes away, trailing strings of mucus that twine about his fingers as he turns the weapon over and over. The grip is slick and warm, as if fresh from some amniotic cavity. He had not understood how badly he missed warmth until now. You can have more, the knife seems to say, in a whisper of steel across skin. I will make it easy. Harvey opens the door and steps out. He braces the blade in front of him, but the stranger continues to hold his ground. His ruined manable hangs on slack tendons, and it is as if that is keening voice rampaging across the lonesome tundra. His eyes gaze through and beyond Harvey, to the future of him where he is open and red and steaming, a person exposed as a cornucopia. Fingers of enzyme seep through Harvey's brain and clench into a fist. Fear and determination catalyze into phosphoric rage. All the complexities of the universe boils away until the stranger's core fact is laid bare. The man is an obstacle, and Monty is on the other side.
Harvey launches himself at the other man, putting all his weight against the knife so that no sudden doubt could possibly stop it. The stranger does not so much as raise a hand. Harvey feels the blade slip smoothly between his ribs. The stranger makes a sound like a wheeze, but his expression does not change even as he begins to fall. As close, Harvey can see how his eyes are rimmed with hoarfrost and sealed behind Verglas. He lets the stranger crumple to the ground and kneels to pry the knife from his chest. The blade is almost clean. The blood that seeps from the wound is black and tarry, half coagulated. The man had died before Harvey killed him. Harvey wonders when the cold finally took him, how long he'd stood there too stiff to fall. But then, time in this land is contorted like a noose, the hard edge of life obscured by snow. Perhaps he'd been stone dead from the moment he'd waved to Harvey in the road, and desperately alive until Harvey killed him. Harvey wastes no time in opening up the man's layers. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? He lays the stranger's emaciated torso bare. Nothing. He claws the man's snow pants and long johns down to his ankles. Nothing. With his knife, he slits the man's laces to look inside his boots. Nothing. Flailed of all secrets, the stranger has nothing in his pockets but snow and candy wrappers. Harvey eases himself down and sits on his haunches. He tries to recall what the man told him over the phone. He can remember answering the call, but everything from until he hung up again has a gap like a blank page. A high, metallic scratching fish hooks his ear. Harvey looks up. But in that moment, there is a break in the sheeting blizzard, and the vastness of the plain unfolding before him transfixes him. This is an unplace, a geological lack, an abscess upon the world. Here is where fires go out and travelers fall. He understands that this road is but a thread stretched across a hungry vacuum, that the horizon is a lip, and the snow the same white as teeth. He cannot turn away from its pull, even as the wind bends around some new mass and a deeper cold still drapes itself heavily across his shoulders. Steel creaks, steam hisses, icicles shatter on gravel. The weight pressing his lungs flat is a predator shadow, gravid with inevitability. Closer and closer, something comes, creeping on rusted springs. Air rushes through his hair towards a chromium maw, yawning wide. With a painful effort of will, Harry turns to look. There is only the stranger's truck, with heat escaping through its open door. Harvey shudders as something rolls through him, a pulse of something less tangible than air. His heartbeat slows as a sudden logic dissolves like Novocaine through his bloodstream. The snowstorm shows no sign of stopping. Civilization is impossibly far in either direction. His belly growls its displeasure, and his brain agrees with it. With no phone, there is only one thing to do. Imani can forget about some dirty dishes, but she will never forgive him if he fails to come home. Harvey lifts the stranger's corpse up by the armpits and begins to drag it towards the truck. He knows that he is in for a long wait, but sooner or later, someone else will come down this lonesome road. Men are too weak to escape the gravity of an emptiness such as this. They'll see him hold up on the curb, maybe jump the truck or offer him a ride. And when he finally gets home, 
Amani will still be waiting for him with rice and lamb kept warm. She'll yell at him for being so late, but she'll kiss him awake the next morning. As he pulls the body inside the truck with him, he promises himself that everything will be okay. All he has to do is last that long. To do that, he'll need the stranger's layers. He'll need all of him. Harvey understands now what the knife is for. That was Evan Marcroft, its mouth a blizzard, its belly all of winter, as read by Matt Bradford. Matt Bradford is a Canadian voice actor, writer, and editor who can be heard on the No Sleep podcast, ZombieCast, and Video Game Outsiders. Outside of the booth, he can be found chasing his kids, hunting down voicing gigs, and gaming into the wee hours. You can find him on Twitter at McFly. Thank you, Matt. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters through Patreon and PayPal. If you're not already a supporter, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify for a look at all the awesome perks from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout outs and swag. Every dollar helps and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to show your appreciation and help us spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we chill you to the bone with more Tales to Terrify. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.